0: All right. Hey, like Pastor Ben said earlier, we're glad that you're here. Thankful that you you guys are with us. Just a few things here before we uh, jump into the message today. Uh, In your seats, you see various, various things uh, that we'd love for you to take. First of all, there's a silicone bracelet. It says one on it. And uh, I want to encourage you to take that. Uh, There's plenty. There's more in the back if you need one. But uh, if you need one, get it? How I did that? Anyway. That's just a reminder, you can hang it on your, wind, your rear view mirror, you can put it wherever you want, on your dresser, whatever you want to do, but that's just a reminder that we are in a focus right now, this year. What does it look like for us to be a church that's one? That uh, in a world of division, we don't add to that, but we represent what it looks like to be unified, even in our differences, so we present ourselves to the world as, uh, as really good examples of Christ. Uh, that's yours okay then there's some stickers and there's a magnet there's all kinds of goodies we're just like everybody just needs goodies today so that sticker uh this is a little bit tongue-in-cheek so there's an I love portage sticker on those seats we have plenty of those if you're not from portage and you still want to love portage I think that's awesome Uh, if you don't love portage and you live in portage you and I need to talk after the service we will I got some things I want to share with you uh very seriously uh so, uh, but I want to encourage you, last week I talked about the fact I, I shared a story about how I was actually behind a vehicle on Highway 6 a few weeks ago, and there were some bumper stickers, some political bumper stickers, and I told you that the temptation I have sometimes to reduce people down to the labels, uh, political labels sometimes, and then assume I know everything I need to know about that person based on those political labels or, or whatever— Uh, This is just kind of a way for you to say, we put those stickers in our windows, though, for a reason, right? I mean, we want to communicate something. Here's something fun to communicate, that you love Portage. And so I want to encourage you, you don't have to stick it on your car. I know people are like, I can't stick that on my car. not my car. Stick it on somebody else's car. There you go. How about that? (laughs) Way to represent Jesus well. (laughs) Uh, There we go. All right, don't listen to me. Also, just one last thing. There's going to be a kind of a big deal announcement at the end of the message, so if you'll kind of hang with me, uh, I would appreciate that. But let's talk a little bit more about labels. In in fact, more specifically, let's talk about the words, the words that are used sometimes when we label people because words are important, aren't they? Words are powerful. Words carry with them a lot of meaning, whether implied or not. Uh, We don't always get to decide when I say a word, the things that you attach to it, right? And vice versa. Okay, so uh, words are really powerful. The book of James, chapter 3, verse 6, does this. The, this is a serious verse. <laughs> the tongue also is a fire. This is, Je- this is the brother of Jesus. Sorry, I, I read this. There are things that I think are funny. Not everybody does. But the tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Wow. Okay, James, why don't you tell us what you really think? Okay. But he's illustrating kind of a big point, right? What we say matters. What we say, okay, that those things mean something. Particularly the words that we use when we describe people. Describe people. Our goal in this has been to uh, engage things in a way that doesn't add to the division in our world, uh, but instead represents Jesus well. And so we started this last week, and this week we talk about immigration. Immigration, and that word itself carries with it all kinds of connotations that people attach to it. And in our world today, just that word can become a source of division for people. So, before we dive in, I want to make sure you understand this isn't about policies. Uh, this is not about walls. This is not about borders. It's not about passing legislation. It's not about political sides. If, if you're disappointed at the end of this that I didn't say we need to pass some kind of legislation somewhere, then you go back and listen to last week's message. Um, but immigration's not really about immigration. It's about people. Immigrants are People. People. And it's a complex issue because people are complex. You are a complex person. You are hard to understand. People are hard to understand. And some people are forced to migrate. That's kind of one swing, way over. Some people have no choice but to migrate. Then there's other people who choose to migrate. And then there's like this whole giant swath in between that we don't really pinpoint into one category or another. There's all kinds of people that fall into that. Some people have no problem offering hospitality to an immigrant. Some people struggle a little bit with that. So as with last week, every single time we talk in this series, we set some ground rules, and these are the ground rules we laid out last week. Jesus followers, do not take, I'm sorry, don't use labels or rhetoric to end dialogue we don't throw out immature labels to stop conversation from happening and that's exactly what those things do they foster silence and that's not productive we were made to communicate with one another right so we don't use labels or rhetoric to end dialogue number two Jesus followers don't take an us versus them posture that's not who we are it's very easy with labels to create enemies And when you create an enemy, you can put them on another side. That's problematic because we have a Jesus that says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. So they're, they're incongruent, they don't go together. But then number three, Jesus followers act like all people are created in the image of God. We actually carry ourselves that way, as though every single person is created in the image of God. Now, that is really, really important when you consider how we talk about immigrants. The unfortunate reality is that sometimes a lot of people lose sight of the people behind the word. The people behind the word. People who are created in the image of God. So my hope today, honestly, is that we would be who we say we are. More specifically, that we would be who Jesus says that we are. There's a a woman named Lynn Bollinger. She's the former chaplain at Eastern Nazarene uh, College. Uh, She's a missionary in the Philippines now with her husband. She says this, As we have conversations about and with immigrants, the church is to bear the hallmark of the Holy Spirit. And every person, regardless of ethnicity, religion, political persuasion, has been created in the image of God. And then she says this, Words reveal what lies in our hearts. Our words reveal what we really think about people. 40 million people, 40 million people created in the image of God live in the United States today who were born in other countries. It's a big chunk of people. 40 million people. Over three quarters of them, so just over 75% of that 40 million are here legally. They're here legally. So in 2018, these are the statistics I found through the Pew Research Center. In 2018, the most immigrants came to the United States from what country? Any guesses? I hear Mexico, a couple Mexicos. China. China. Number two, Uh, number two, who do you think number two is? India. China sent the most immigrants to the United States in 2018. India was second. Mexico was third. I was surprised by that. I don't know if you were. What that tells me is that maybe some things that I think I know I don't. And sometimes I see things through lenses that are inaccurate and incorrect. Now, knowing that our nation was built by immigrants, it would seem to me that that word, immigrant, falls short. It doesn't encompass everything. We're going to talk about that. There's a 2010 poll, uh, again, the Pew Research Center. Pew Research, I I choose that because, I mean, you can't really, they're just straight-up research. It's just all it is. 2010 poll found only 12% only 12% of evangelicals say their opinion on immigration is influenced by their faith. That's 12%. We would consider ourselves evangelical, whether you want to or not. Our church is in that pool. Okay. Only 12% of evangelicals in 2010 said immigration, their idea about immigration, was influenced by their faith. Most of the time, it came through a political lens or a media lens. The majority uh, believe immigrants, quote, threaten, emis- uh, threaten traditional American customs and values. Who gets to define what that is? Easy assumptions, again, when the word immigrant is politicized and even weaponized. Now, I want to make sure that you're not hearing what I'm not saying. Uh, We are a nation of laws, okay? We are a nation of laws. There are scriptures that speak to the importance of followers of Jesus, to abide by the laws of their governing authorities. We need to do those things. At the same time, we are clearly called to love the immigrant, the immigrant, okay? So I have some really, really good news. This is really awesome news. Federal law does not prohibit what churches can do serving immigrants regarding their legal status, irregardless of it. Doesn't matter. We can preach, we can befriend them, we can teach them or let them teach us. We can provide food assistance, we can sit down and have a meal with them, we can offer language classes, we can learn their language, whatever. In fact, there is zero legal requirement to report someone's legal status. Did you know that? The only possible area is if a church employs a person without legal status or a business or an individual employs a person without legal status. What that means is there are tons of ways to serve immigrants. Immigrants. I wonder if there's another word, Uh, a label that Jesus would have us use for immigrants. Immigrants. Luke 10, 25 through 29. A religion scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. Teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? He answered, what, what's written in God's law? How do you interpret it? So the man said, you love the Lord your God with all your passion, prayer, muscle, intelligence. but you love your neighbor as well as you do yourself? Good answer, said Jesus. Do that and you live. Looking for a loophole, he asked, just how would you define neighbor? I want you to understand this. This religious scholar did not have pure intentions. All these other people kept flocking to Jesus, and that was not lost on the religious establishment. Okay? They, they were freaking out. And so this religious scholar comes up to Jesus to trap him. Get get him to say something, right, that they could use against him because they they were tired of seeing their influence wane as his influence increased. And so the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life, is a loaded question. It wasn't wasn't sincere, okay? And because Jesus is Jesus, (laughs) he plays the game a little bit. Like, he, he goes down the road with them just a little bit. So, all right, well, what, what does the law say? You're, you're asking me, you're the religious scholar, but what does the law say? So instead of quoting half the Old Testament, right, the, the expert summarized, all right, love God with everything you got and love your neighbor like you love yourself. That, that should summarize it, right? And Jesus is like, bingo, bingo. That, that's absolutely correct. You nailed it. In fact, all the law, all the prophets, that's all summarized in really those two statements sounds like a plan if you do that man you get eternal life and at that moment that man had a choice he had a choice in that moment a proper response to that would have been an admission admitting man I don't know if I can love everybody like that we're so afraid to admit that aren't we That we have biases? That we have reservations? That I'm supposed to love everybody the way I love God? We're so afraid to admit that. This man had an opportunity in that moment. But I want you to understand the nature of his response. Instead of being honest and saying, I don't know how to do that. And then Jesus maybe being able to say, well, the good news is, is you know me now. So let's do this together. Instead, the man pulls Jesus aside and essentially says, can I pick which ones I love? Can I pick which ones I love? At which point, Jesus tells a story. There was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho on the way he was attacked by robbers took his clothes, beat him up, went off leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road, but when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. Then a Levite religious man showed up. He also avoided the injured man. A Samaritan traveling the road came on him. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. Then Jesus said, What do you think? Which of the three became a neighbor to the man attacked by the robbers? The one who treated him kindly, the religion scholar, responded. And Jesus said, go and do the same. So first, this priest comes by. Then this Levite comes by. Church people. Religious people. There's a man. He's beaten and he's robbed. This man implicitly is understood to be a Jew. The same nationality and persuasion of the religious scholar asking the question. That's implied, okay? The two men, the Levite, the priest, they steer clear. I mean, what if the robbers are still there? Seriously. I mean, it could still be kind of dangerous, right? And besides, this guy knows better. I mean, he probably wasn't supposed to be on the road to begin with, and somebody will stop and help him, but hopefully he's learned his lesson at this point and knows not to do that again, right? So what happens next is seen to be the twist in the story the samaritan stops the jews this is an understatement the jews hated samaritans the jews considered the samaritans racial half-breeds and the samaritans they returned the favor they didn't care much for the jews either okay so i mean you have two people on opposite sides of the spectrum they hated each other the tension and the toxicity was palpable i mean it was there they they just did not like each other the jews really thought the Samaritans were unclean and unfit to even worship with them or or anything like that. So the hated Samaritan, the hated Samaritan is the one who has compassion on the person who hates him, has compassion on the Jew. He stops, disregards his own schedule, disregards his own safety, touches his wounds, provides love and care, and this is probably the most important thing. He did it at a personal cost. It cost him to do these things for this man. So Jesus' answer to the religious scholar in that moment is really, really clear. Jesus' followers do not put sanctions on or limit the implications of the command to love. Jesus' followers do not put sanctions on or limit the implications of the command to love. Being sacrificially involved with the vulnerable. Not just how we love, but who we love. What does this have to do with immigration, Rich? (laughs) Um, Our immigrants, in whatever capacity you choose to describe them, your neighbor? And if so, what does that mean for us? This is where I am so, so grateful, that uh, Real Life Community Church is a part of the Church of the Nazarene. Uh, Our Board of General Superintendents, several years ago, when the humanitarian crisis on the southern border really, really ramped up, and uh, there was a lot going on, they made various statements. They had to uh, speak into the void, various statements regarding not just the, imi- the issue of immigration, but how our thoughts and process about immigration was being fleshed out by the people of God. And so they released a statement. I want to share that with you. This is what they said. The Board of General Superintendents calls on Nazarenes around the world, first, to treat immigrants with love, respect, and mercy. Number two, to participate sacrificially in local, national, national, and global compassionate ministry responses to assist refugees and immigrants. Number three, this is the tough one, to encourage their respective governments to approve equitable laws that will allow for family reunification, legal work permits for productive immigrants in the workforce, and pathways for undocumented immigrants to be able to obtain authorized immigrant status. And then finally, to follow the clear biblical mandate to love, welcome, assist, evangelize, and disciple the immigrants near us and the board of general superintendents. Now, I I would be remiss if I did not provide ways for you to be engaged. So let me throw out this first step. You're not going to see it on the screen. How many of you know the name of your live-next-door neighbor right now? Good. Both sides. Behind, front, back. Good. It's a good place to start. If you don't, listen. Get to know some people. <laughs> Meet your next door neighbor. Listen. You show up at my you show up at my house with a plate of cookies. I'm your best friend, at least for a few minutes. Okay. Seriously. Uh, and I'm I. It's hard for me to talk about this because for some people, this stuff comes natural. Pastor Ben and I, we share mowing duties with Connie. Connie lives in the house between Pastor Ben and me. And uh, we just share mowing duties. And it just, we, we have, you just form relationships with people that are around you. But then the second is this, listen and grow. Everybody has a story. We talked about this with us Last year, when we went through this is my story, I had you articulate, what is your story? Everybody has a story that needs to be heard. Everybody has a story. And a lot of times, we assume we know somebody's story until all of a sudden, we spend time learning. We spend time growing. It's kind of lazy to allow assumptive labels be as far as that we're going to go in our understanding of other people. Then maybe put yourself in a context context where you're the minority, where you're the minority. Um, I don't time, I, I don't, I just don't have time. This is, this is the frustration about this series is I'm going to solve the world's problems in 40 minutes, right? Uh, I don't have time to give you all the biblical narratives in the Old Testament and the New Testament regarding the migration of people. It's all throughout Scripture. The, the book of Scripture really is about people moving everywhere, including God's chosen people, or or that Jesus' own family fled to another country for a time. Uh, I regret that I don't have time to highlight all of the reasons that people do migrate. And there's a lot of those. Or are forced to migrate. Okay, our world is a dark place. It's a dark place. And in the back, uh, in the foyer, and on the back tables, I believe, there's a a sheet, and uh, there's a resource sheet, Uh, Different things that you can do to learn how you might engage refugees, engage immigrants. I've recently been talking to the pastor of the Cross Church in East Chicago. He and I had breakfast a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about the immigration ministry that he has going on in his church. And uh, I talked with a woman this last week who's tied to his church about what that might look like in the future. These are preparatory messages, if you're wondering. We're laying some groundwork and some understanding and some foundations for future opportunities that God might have us be engaged with other people. Uh, but there's a lot of things going on, and, and the bottom line is there are real people in the world today facing real harm and real pain and worse. Uh, immigrants are not issues, immigrants are people. They're neighbors with stories. Like the family of three-year-old Alan Curdy. In August of 2015, uh, Syrians began fleeing from their country by the tens of thousands because of the brutal occupation of Islamic fundamentalists in their country. And uh, so they crossed the sea in desperate attempts to save their lives, the lives of their families. And uh, one instance, there's just one instance over thousands and thousands of years of people who are faced with this horrific decision to leave everything that they knew just for the ability to live safely. And you might remember some of those in, images uh, from those, refu- those Syrian refugees. Uh, there were images of people, real people with real stories, fleeing to another country. And I I believe in the power of art. It's why I share so many images with you. It's why I share different music with you. And, and just, I think, the think art has a way of communicating some things that maybe I don't <laughs> in the way I speak. Um, the images that you're going to see in a few moments are the background to a song that came out really as a response to that Syrian crisis uh, by a group called Gungor. And uh, I've asked Hannah if she would sing that, if she would. And I pray that we'll be who Jesus says that we are.
1: the people up. from the fiercest storm to the fear His little body there in a sentence, still at the water's edge.
0: the question, then, is who is my neighbor? Those images, I think, are hard to look at for a reason. <clears throat> there, but for the grace of God, go I. Uh, I would, would to God that there would be somebody who would see my family uh, through the eyes of Jesus? In the story of the Good Samaritan, there's actually another twist, and I'm not sure we think about this very often. Um, it was the person that Jesus chose to be the one in need. I think we're all surprised. We know the story is that we should be the good Samaritan, and it's very surprising that the Samaritan is the one. The hated Samaritan is the one that stopped. But uh, I think Jesus, by choosing the person who was in need, was asking every single listener through all of eternity, including you and me, to imagine ourselves actually in the place of need. Would we reject the offer of help from someone we perceive to be our enemy? Hoping maybe somebody might see us the way Jesus sees us. Here's what I know you and I are the man in the ditch. (laughs) We're the man in the ditch. Sin runs so deep that all of us fall short. By the side of the road, estranged, we're broken beaten down by sin, hoping for grace to pass by, for mercy to pass by. So when Jesus moved into our neighborhood, (laughs) he migrated from heaven to earth. And while we were yet sinners, he came down. Love came down. Jesus met me on the side of the road. He gave his life. My healing came at Jesus' expense. Just as the Samaritan paid for the stranger. Would to God that there might be somebody who would see me, see my family, the way Jesus sees me. May we see other people that way too. I want to introduce you to a man who probably represents one of the greatest examples I've ever met of somebody who sees others truly through the eyes of Jesus. You'll see his picture on the screen. Pastor Nestor Az in the middle, or that, that side picture over here, he's the, the guy in the blue in the background. They're right in the middle. Uh, pastor Nestor is the pastor of Iglesia del Nazareno in Palmarcito, Guatemala, the Church of the Nazarene in Palmarcito, Guatemala. It's about 30 miles from the Guatemala-Mexico border. And in 2018, I think we all are aware of mostly Honduran uh, immigrants and refugees who were making their giant way up to the United States to seek asylum, they'd marched their way through and um, made their way all the way through Guatemala and then were stopped at the Mexico border. And they were fleeing gang violence, threats to their lives. Uh, they arrived on that border, border essentially desiring to take the risk of continuing. And so that's Pastor Nestor. They're in the middle, handing out supplies, hygiene resources uh, and water. Uh, to thousands, along with my namesake, Ricardo. Uh, Ricardo, an elderly man from his church. They traveled those 30 miles from Palmarcito to go do that. That's just pretty much who Pastor Nestor is. Um, He takes his own time putting himself out there with the rest of the Palmarcito church, loving people who needed somebody to see them the way that Jesus sees them, the way Jesus sees them. His whole church is that way. The Paul Marcedo Church exists literally exclusively to provide compassionate ministry for other people. In fact, for them, showing compassion for other people in tangible ways is not a part of who they are. It's just who they are. It's just what they do, um, which is amazing considering the little that they have Uh, Dirt floors, half of the people in that church, they swept their floor so many times that it's actually shiny, but it's dirt. Dirt floors, no consistent income. They live in that region of Guatemala, in a region of the country where poverty is not an exception. Poverty is the rule, and the pull to leave is huge. The pull to walk out and cross that border is immense. The desire is there. Um, In fact, they are a bunch of people who recognize that Jesus has them right where he wants them right now. And so they are doing everything that they can. Uh, 25 children uh, in that community are sponsored through Nazarene uh, Compassionate Ministries through that church. And those children are educated through that church. They're fed through that church. They're clothed through that church. Their, their families, in many ways, are established with micro-enterprises to earn some kind of income uh, for their families to continue to help them establish themselves and escape some level of poverty. There's room for 25 more kids through them to be sponsored, to be educated, to be taken care of, to be provided for, to be healthy. Uh, in fact, just recently, in a Zoom call between myself and Pastor Ben, uh, Pastor Nestor, and, and a woman named Damaris Kellogg. She's the Compassionate Ministries Director for that whole region down there. We were in a Zoom call, and I learned of a new ministry that they've begun. They'd started it in the middle of COVID, reaching out to the kids at the dump. The kids at the dump. So what you see there is a line of children and maybe some families. Um... I did not know this. I've, I've known this church for quite some time, but outside of town, there's a garbage dump, and these families live at the garbage dump. Their, their sustenance, their life happens because they forage in the dump for everything that they need. Um, that's just where they live. These kids are not educated. These kids, they, they're, not, they're not just estranged from society. Society doesn't even know they exist. They're invisible. And yet you have a group of people in that church that go there on a regular basis to hand out supplies, to love those kids, to pour into their lives, the lives of their families, to feed them, to make them healthy, to love them. Um, So that leads to an announcement. (laughs) Uh, This last month, uh, your church board uh, formally entered a partnership between Real Life and the Church of the Nazarene in Palmarcito, Guatemala. So we've entered into this formal partnership. And uh, two churches, one mission. What that looks like is really up to us and up to them. Uh, The very first thing it probably looks like is there's going to be a trip this summer to Guatemala. And uh, we'll make sure you know the dates of those different things and stuff like that. But this is not just about going and taking trips, this is about establishing a relationship and a partnership with another congregation. In another part of the world where we can invest in kingdom initiatives and uh, I've been familiar with this church for for some time and uh, honestly when I moved here was not my intent for us to begin a partnership with this congregation but it the opportunity provided itself and uh, so I believe God's kind of opened this door for us to take advantage of that and put ourselves also in a context to experience culture in a way maybe some of us have never even dreamed. I've learned so much from these people. Um, I've learned so much from them and so much about um, how much I still need to learn about what it just means to follow Jesus, just to follow Jesus. And so um, I'll let you know (laughs) what the fullness of this partnership looks like but it begins with a greeting, okay? It begins with saying hello. And so this is this is my big ask for today. Are you ready? In my broken Spanish, uh, we are going to say saludos desde la iglesia vida real. Greetings. Did I do okay? Liz, is that? She doesn't know what I just said. <laughs> Translation. No, I did not do that well. <laughs> Greetings from real life church. That's what that means. And I didn't say it right, but it is printed right. In the foyer, there's a wall that says that. I'm just going to say it again just because it's fun. Saludos desde la iglesia Vida Real. I think that sounds really, really good, Luz. I'm actually quite proud of myself. <laughs> Saludos desde la iglesia Vida Real. Oh, <laughs> There's a wall out there, and uh, those words are on there. Go stand in front of it. My beautiful wife is going to be out there. She's going to take your picture. All you got to do is stand there. You don't have to, like, you don't have to say it. Trust me. You, 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 all you got to do is just stand there. We're going to take your picture. I'm going to put them all together, and I'm going to send them down there, and I can guarantee you that that church who is already praying for you, that's who they are. They are already praying for you. That church will send a greeting back. Trust me. <laughs> because uh, they're super excited about what this looks like for us to impact both communities for Jesus. And so as you leave today, I know sometimes we slip out that way, different stuff. Just head out here. My wife will take your picture. She makes everybody look good, so it'll be all right. Sound like a plan? All right, let's pray. Stand up. Father, we pray for our neighbors today. We pray that uh, we would see them the way that you see them uh, and really no other way. Help us to see through your eyes. And Father, I pray the same for other people looking at us. That people would view us through the lens of Jesus. And that together, Father, as your church, we might be one. Then the world will know. Then the world will know you. And so, Father, as we continue to pray, I lift up the Palmarcito Church to you today. Pastor Nestor's family, all those servants and workers who are reaching out to the community in, in such profound ways in a time when so many churches have recoiled and pulled back, they've just dove right in and uh, just continue to put themselves out there to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with as many people as they can. So, Father, I pray for this partnership that it would flourish that we would be a benefit to them, that they would be a benefit to us, and that together, Father, we continue to see your kingdom on earth expand and grow, Father, so you would be reflected in the world today. We love you. We praise you. Be with us as the church. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Make sure you go get your, your picture taken. Thanks.